Welcome to the Grappling Arts Podcast, where we celebrate the art of professional wrestling, explore wrestling practice, and dig deep into wrestling's rich and varied history. Throughout the series, we will be interviewing leading figures from within independent professional wrestling. Topics will include theatre, sport, storytelling, and performance. If you enjoy the series, please subscribe and leave a review. I am your host, Sam West, co-owner of the independent wrestling promotion, Wrestling Resurgence, which is a theatre-led wrestling company based in the East Midlands. You can also find me at Loughborough University, where I'm a doctoral researcher studying storytelling in professional wrestling. My expert co-host is Resurgence Colour Commentator Claire Warden, who is a senior lecturer in English and Drama, also at Loughborough University. She's also the co-editor of the fantastic Performance and Professional Wrestling book. For more information about the podcast and Wrestling Resurgence, look us up on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Welcome to our first recording back after a summer break. On this episode, Claire and I are joined by two of the most experienced professional wrestlers on the UK scene, Princess Diana of professional wrestling Jetta and the all-star Erin Angel. We explore a range of themes including training schools, holiday camps and issues highlighted by the recent speaking out movement. We also discuss some fantastic matches, including the recent WrestleFriends story in Pro Wrestling Eve, which culminated in Jetta and Erin becoming the first EVE Tag Team Champions. We had a few sound issues, so please excuse those. As it appears to be the grappling arts standard, we went for two hours, but it is a fascinating conversation. I hope you enjoyed the episode, and if you do, please hit subscribe, follow us, or recommend us to a friend, and do all of that good stuff. Here we go, episode three, Wrestle Friends. Before, I think like... Although me and Erin started pretty much the same time, we both kind of broke in in completely mad as it sounds because it's like English wrestling that even then was was really small. We broke in in completely different ways and had completely different experiences. Um, yeah. And I think it's the big part of that is a lot of that is down to pure chance of where we just happened to be in the country because you could we could Google stuff, but it wasn't like. You had to get up on the on the dial-up internet, and not many people had websites and stuff. So, yeah, so I think that's quite it's quite an interesting one because I think people kind of assume that if you break in around the same time, you have the same experience, but it's very different. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Okay, great. Yeah, I know. I think that would be um, that'd be a really interesting place to start. Um, well, just before we start, what, what sort of um, what time are we talking for, for both of you starting? So I, yeah. I had my training session in, I think it was by like, probably like January, February 2002. 2002 would it have been? Yeah, it must have been 2002. Yeah, 2002. Yeah, I think one was 2003 or 2002. So I think my first, actually my first match, you know, when you look through these like databases things, like that are online somebody's recorded that I did a match in 2003 so I must have been training just before that it's like 2002 2003 yeah I, I know I had my first match like literally a week after my <laughs> day. so yeah because yeah. I remember no I would have been yeah see I don't even know I would have I was after my 15th birthday sorry so yeah, it all just kind of blurs in, doesn't it? But yeah, 2002 was definitely when 
So what is it? 2020. So yeah, it sounds like 18 years, isn't it? Well, yeah. Wow. <laughs> I don't mean I don't mean that as in you're old because I think well I think we're all about the same age so I don't mean that as in you're old. No 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 that like that's that's like I think everyone you probably have the same experience don't you like people ask you like when did you start wrestling and when you say then they're like what <laughs> you're like yeah it's really young I just get my walking stick out. <laughs> yeah. yeah and I think as well people especially uh, modern fans, I, I think maybe don't even realise that sort of British wrestling existed at that time. I think for a lot of, a lot of fans watching it today, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Have we started the interview yet, or are you just talking about what we're going to talk about? Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm not really giving much input yet. I was waiting to start. <laughs> no, we're, we'll start in a moment. That was just the... Uh, we have started doing that with the podcast though because we used to we, we'd press record and then claire and i would start talking about what we were going to talk about on the episode and it ended up just being the intro to the episode yeah. <laughs> so, so maybe that maybe this can be the intro to the episode and we'll do it like we did last time start with our um, walking sticks yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay, well okay so we'll we'll go from from now um and then i'll ed edit back I'll press um, now that's what i was thinking <laughs> uh so i'm currently recording claire are you recording as well i am also recording yeah okay cool um, yeah, I'm recording. covered all eventualities we have multiple recordings of this interview <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so um, thank you for, for joining us today, Erin, Angel, and Jetta. Uh, we start this normally by asking um, our guests to introduce themselves. Um, so maybe if Jetta, you could start by introducing yourself to our listeners. Um, hello, I am Jetta, uh, English uh, female wrestler. Great, and then Erin? I'm Erin Angel. I'm also a British female wrestler. I've been on the scene for a long, long time. We've just uh, briefly discussed it's coming up to probably nearly 18 years now, uh, same as Jetta. So um, we're, yeah, long time uh, servers of the industry and we're still loving it. <laughs> yeah, very, very broken at our tender age because <laughs> the length of wrestling. That's something um, I'm interested to know. As so that's going on 18 years now in wrestling, has the has the summer lockdown enabled the two of you to sort of uh, recover physically? I think it's probably more one for you, Aaron, because I I did wrestle. We we both started around the same time at 2002, um, but I actually stopped wrestling for like five or six years. Um, when I was, I think I was like 23 when I stopped wrestling. And by that point, I'd already been wrestling for like eight years. Um, so I had that time to kind of go away. And I did have a lot of like back problems, neck problems, all that type of stuff. And I managed to kind of, over time, that, that kind of went away, I guess. So I don't know. I mean, Erin, I think you've just kind of been continuous, haven't you? It's probably the longest break you've took. 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, mum was slightly more planned because I've, I've got a seven-month-old uh, baby now, so I knew I was going to have a bit of time off, um, obviously, with the arrival of uh, my daughter, Dulcie. But um, obviously, for everyone else, I think it's probably been such a massive shock to suddenly stop wrestling. But yeah, definitely for like the little aches and pains that you get over the years, all the things that are just speaking that you think, oh, well, you know, one day I'll have a rest or I'll sort that out. Um, I think for all the wrestlers out there that have just been forced to have this break suddenly, it's probably been a little bit of a blessing in disguise for the bodies. Um, I think probably mentally, though, everybody's ready to get back into the ring and back into, um, you know, doing what they love. Um, and obviously for the, the people that have this as a full-time job, um, they're desperate to get back to their living. So, you know, there's pros and cons to this lockdown, but... Um, Body-wise, yeah, definitely, definitely good for recovery. <laughs> um, I want to just start um, by going back to the, those kind of earliest um, moments when you started wrestling, your training and things like that. Um, so if you've both been wrestling for 18 years, you, you both started around 2002, 2003. Um, what initially inspired you to want to become a wrestler back then? Um, I think I think for me, <clears throat> I I had a, a friend, a, a close friend, um, who I'm still friends with to this day. Who she was she was really really into into wrestling. She kind of got me into it. And I think initially what kind of drew me in was the the stunt side of it. You know, the, the like hardcore matches, the ladder matches, and stuff like that. Because as somebody who wasn't a wrestling fan, it's just kind of cool to see people throw themselves off things onto other people. I guess. <laughs> Um, but then over time, as I as, as I started watching it, I, I got really into it. And I think for, for me, anyway, the, the I guess female wise that really kind of drew me into wrestling was was Lita because she was doing you know all the cool, the cool moves that the guys did, and she was mixing up with the guys, and she would have like you know intergender matches and 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 stuff like that. So that that kind of made me sort of think, oh, you know, I. Could, I could, I could, I could do that, you know. I could, I could be Lita. I'm not, I'm never going to be Trish, but maybe I could be Lita. Um, and then, yeah, it kind of became something that I just wanted to to give a go. And it, again, I think like back then, it's you not. Know, we were just kind of laughing about it. Like it's 2002. It's not really that long ago, but so much has changed in the world. You know, things like you know, you can just go on the internet on your phone and look up a local training school and see what reviews they had, or or you know you know, tweet somebody and ask about the school or whatever, you, you kind of, you, you either went on dial-up internet and found a really poor GeoCities website or you you bought you bought like a monthly wrestling magazine and you saw an advert in there. So, you know, just by pure circumstance, I guess, luckily enough, there was a training school that was literally 20 minutes from where I lived at the time and I had no idea it even existed. Um, I think even then, it, wrestling, especially independent wrestling, existed in such this such a small little bubble um so yeah I kind of went to that that school and I guess for me that that was that then and same same question for for you Erin um well my I've got a little brother he's six years younger than me and my initial introduction to wrestling I had no idea it existed till I was like 14 and uh he was like putting on the telly uh the WWE stuff um, and I suddenly first of all I was like oh what's this turn it off you know put something else on and then suddenly I found myself like watching it in the evenings when they do like 
uh, like Vicky said, the stuff where they actually show you the chair shots and going through the tables and in the daytime they cut it all out. So I'd find myself like watching it when he'd gone to bed and really just getting into just the whole the storylines of wrestling. I loved the fact that all the females were like there was Lita who was like, yeah, you're edgy, like hardcore girl. And then I wanted to be Trish Stratus. So I wanted the blonde hair and, um, you know, I loved her outfits and the sparkliness. And if you, if you watch any of my stuff, you'll see my outfits are like, probably still inspired by her. Like I love, I love her to, to be honest. Like, yeah, one of the big reasons that I thought, you know what, this is, this is what I want to do. I love the athleticism and the showmanship. Like I thought before I found wrestling, I wanted to be like actress. And then, and I'd always done like loads of sports. Um, and like I said, I didn't know wrestling existed. And when I found it, I was like, this is the perfect thing. It's got acting and the drama and all that side of it. And they're being really physical and they're getting to do this fighting. And yeah, just, I just knew as soon as I saw it, that's what I wanted to do. And then um, I saw, uh, well, my mum actually saw an advert for a show that was local to us in our local town hall. It was run by a guy called Scott Conway, um, and he ran the TWA. Uh, when we got there, there was a, well, we bought a program, and at the back of the program, there was like, do you want to be a wrestler? Come to our training school. It was monthly, so I went like for three months there, and then he said he was moving to Thailand. Um, but by that time, like he was doing like a finale tour, and he was like, do you want to come along and do music and put the ring up and do the lighting? And I did that, and then I met some other wrestlers there and they were like oh we're doing the summer camps do you want to come away on the summer camps and learn to wrestle um so that was like my in I didn't go to a training school I I went away on the summer camps and learned on the road which is quite an old school way to learn like everyone goes to a, a training school now um and to be honest I had I had this the two routes I had that or I had a the number for FWA because they Years and years ago, they were on um, Talk Sport, or Alex Shane was on Talk Sport, and they used to promote the FWA stuff. So I had the two phone numbers. I had Scott Conway's phone number, and I had the T um, FWA phone number. And I phoned, I think I phoned the FWA first, and nobody answered. And then I phoned Scott, so that's the way my wrestling career went. It's funny looking back that something like that would have changed every everything. The whole sort of way I got in, I'd have been wrestling sort of under you know a different promotion and wrestling Nikita and sort of going FWA route so it's funny how um how one little thing can just change everything yeah I think from Erin's perspective as well like so she basically came in the old old school kind of way on the road and you're kind of learning on the job whereas me the training school I went to um it was wrestling training in an Aikido center so I don't think I stepped into a wrestling ring until like two or three months worth of training. So, you know, it's like a completely different experience. And I, I didn't have like a proper match until I think I started training in like January ish time, February. Um, and I didn't have a match until August. So it, it's like a completely different, like it's the same. It's like, like we said, you know, it's completely different the same timeline I mean probably by a matter of months but just depending on where you were in the country at that time mm. your experience could be completely different and the way you're brought in was completely different and I, I was an affiliate of, of Hammerlock which was kind of like an opposition to FWA at the time like you you you, you kind of bigger kind of I guess promotions that were around were All-Star um, then FWA and then Hammerlock so Hammerlock and FWA 
clashed massively. And if you worked for Hammerlock or you trained with Hammerlock, you didn't go to an FWA training camp or show because you'd be kicked out of Hammerlock. So it was very like clicky. It was very, very like you were, you were either in this camp or you're in that camp and you can't switch basically. It was very strange. Was that, um, sorry, Claire. No, no, I just, I'm, I, I may well be asking a similar question. So I'm just really interested in, in what, in, in when you joined with, with these kind of into the wrestling community, what it was like, like who, like what, what sort of people were there? Were you the only women in, in that or were there loads of women involved in this? Did it feel quite a kind of masculine space or did you feel like accepted um, as women in that space? From from my perspective, I, I was really lucky. The training school I worked into, yes, we there were other girls there, but they weren't as consistent as as. And I had my friend with me, so we were like the two girls. But we were literally like two 14, 15 year old girls who just like walked in in our Hardy Boy t shirts and just <laughs> like I guess at that age you don't really think you know you don't really you're not intimidated because you don't think things through enough to be intimidated if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was, there were some, you know, people there, it was all males. Some of them were our age, some of them were older. Um, but from the get go, our, our main trainer, who, who's a guy called magic, um, basically said that we're to be treated the same as all of the guys that they hit us the same. We are expected to do the same drills. Um, we're expected to try everything if we feel comfortable trying it. Um, but basically we'd be to be treated no differently, which, was really good because straight away there was no you know we never had any awkwardness there was yes it was a masculine space but we were kind of like the little sisters of that space we were always taken care of and looked out for by everybody um and there were were many occasions through the years where we would go and work shows for other promotions and if you know there was one time I had an issue with with a with a male wrestler in a rumble and and all of the guys from my training school were, were there and stuck up for me and would go to bat for me so from my perspective um I guess the only thing I guess I look back on on that training school and kind of thing but again I think it's just with retrospect and it's it's knowing more now than what we knew then was the the, the constant bumps the strikes and the things like that were, were really unnecessary but that was before, again, you know, it's, it seems like not that long ago, but not a lot was known about concussions like is known now, um, about how to train smart, you know, not hard, you know, things like that. So I think that's the only thing that I kind of look back on it and I do cringe a little bit because I think, God, like I don't think we needed to be, you know, striking each other in the head <laughs> consistently the day before a show or, you know, you, you kind of, I'm sure you remember this, Erin, you, you you definitely have a concussion and it'd be one of those where you just kind of like sit out for five minutes and then get stuck back in, especially for us because we were girls. So we kind of felt like we had something to prove. Um, but yeah, that, that was, that was my experience. That's Vicky had a, quite a nice experience coming in. Like she said, if uh, people were treating her like the little sister and looking out for her and stuff like that, that's probably like one of the better she's probably had one of the better experiences um I hope you agree with that like I'm not trying yeah, to yeah no I, I fully accept the fact that I was very lucky to walk in where I, where I walked in yeah <laughs> I'd love to have walked into a place like that um, my experience is more like I didn't really I didn't meet another female to like train with or um anything until I actually had like my first match which was with um Kalundike Kate um who's an absolute like legend of the industry um 
so yeah like that for me I was always training with guys and like Vicky said back then it was one of those cases of if you wanted to be in the industry you had to like prove that you were just as tough as the guys so they didn't really like hold back or on anything and I was expected to do exactly the same as the guys which would be like put the ring up and down and all those things were, were fine like and I wanted to do all that but again there was like this massive pressure that like I'm like just five foot and I'm trying to lift, lift like ring posts and stuff that were probably at least like half my weight and like put them on my shoulders and like walk around buildings and get like the ring into the van and things like that like that um I guess some of those things that I look back on I'm like I think they were just doing that maybe once to see if I really really wanted to to be a wrestler and would put up with those kind of things because I don't know I just feel like uh I could have still done exactly the, the amount of work, but maybe not lifted everything the same and stuff like that. Like they could have helped me out a bit, but it was really, really a, you know, if you want to be in this industry, you have to do exactly what we do. And um, it, was, it, was, it was like a boys club too. So I really wanted to be in the boys club. And like Vicky said, you're so young when you start out, you don't see that maybe you're not wanted there. And you're sort of just taking everything as a challenge. And really it's probably more of a, a Mickey take on on stuff. I don't know if we're allowed to say like ruder words, but yeah, like a Mickey <laughs> take on things, and maybe maybe you're just maybe being treated like a, not so, as serious as what you thought you was. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but at the same time, like I am really proud of like some of the some of the stuff that I did to get him because having said all that, I did stick it out, and I did have you know I was carrying all the stuff for the ring, and I was as much a part of it as all the guy all the guy trainees and you know I really felt like I did hold my own in that respect and I stuck it out and I'm still here today so you know it wasn't impossible to get in like it just wasn't as welcoming and you know you weren't looked out for as much as maybe you are now which is such a good thing that you know it's a better place today. I'm interested in um, because both of you described watching um, particular women in WWE and those, and, the, and those women, Trish Stratus and uh, Lita being kind of inspirations for you. I'm aware that looking at wrestling from the outside and then turning up and starting to train in wrestling is probably an extremely different experience. So what, I, I guess I'm interested in what kept you like going and what kind of, um, when you got there and when you saw the, and experienced the reality of training to be a wrestler and that, you know, putting up the ring and taking the bumps, that sort of stuff. What what was it in that in that environment that, that made you want to keep going and made you kind of think, this is actually something that I really want to do? And should I go first on this one? Yeah, you go first, Aaron. I feel like once you start, like you live in your dream then, like you actually get into wrestle and even the small crowds, uh, when you're starting out, like they feel like huge. You feel like you're in, fi in front of like 500 people and it's probably in reality 50, but you are then living your dream and you're getting to, um, like Vicky said, you, you get thrown in quite quickly. So it wasn't long before you're actually in front of the crowds and doing matches and, and being part of the industry. And if, you, if you're aiming to be part of an industry and then you're, you're getting there, you know, that's what keeps you going. So it didn't matter about the sort of the negatives or, or, or whatever in it, because um, the positives outweighed that because you are living your dream and, uh, back then, um, the sort of route to, I, I think everybody 
wanted to get to the WWE or, you know, definitely that was my aim or some, somewhere in the world like Japan or you know, do, do big things in wrestling. And it didn't seem like that wasn't something that you could work towards because there was links. There used to be a guy called Drew McDonald who had, um, who was the booker or whatever for trials. So, you know, you did feel like there was roots to go forward in the industry. And, and because there wasn't that many of us as well, um, females, you got pushed quite uh, quite early on into shows and things like that. So, yeah, you felt like you were moving forward. I think I think for me, and again, it's of where, where we came in, um, whereas where Erin came in, there was that connection that you could potentially get a tryout and all that sort of stuff. That stuff wasn't on my side of the fence. Um, so for me, I think it was just like, as somebody who kind of casually watched... WWE thought the Hardy Boys and Lita were really cool and then like all of a sudden I go to this training school and like they're teaching us things and then they're like oh have you watched um Manami Toyota no who's that and then someone will give you a tape and you put it in and it's like wow like <laughs> what is this world of wrestling that's just been opened up to me and then I like got really into like ECW and like I would I remember like back then you could you could tape trade, which I did, and I we used to swap tapes and stuff at the training school. But then, like, you could go into like HMV and buy like a an ECW DVD for like twenty quid, and you didn't know what was going to be on it. But you know, it was it was an ECW DVD, so that kind of then just opened up this whole world of wrestling to me that I never knew existed, and I was just obsessed with it and just fascinated by it. And I just, for me, I just wanted to wrestle. I don't think in my head there was ever a like you know, one day I want to be in WWE. But for me, I think it was just like, maybe I can travel, maybe I can like wrestle on shows and like do these cool things that I've learned. Like that that was kind of what it was to me really, which is weird because like people will always say like, oh, did you not have a goal? Like, to me, it was always just to be able to wrestle on shows and I didn't really, really care where that was until – until I started working more and then obviously I, I then learned about other places that you could go like, you know, wrestling all over the UK and um, all over Europe and then going to America and then obviously things like that then became my goal. But initially for me, I just, I just loved wrestling. I just wanted to wrestle. And if that was having a match or just going to training every week, like I was, I was happy. Um, so Another aspect of this that you've both kind of alluded to, um, which I find quite interesting and I want to explore a little bit further, is how quickly this kind of became your world. Because obviously you're, you're young women at this point, um, young teenagers. And um, how, you know, how quickly did um, being in these wrestling schools, being starting to be on shows and wrestling, how quickly did that kind of become your, your sort of world, I guess? Um, and did it become your kind of, social world as well as your you know uh, wrestling world erin <clears throat> you probably want to answer this one because <laughs> you got straight into it didn't you? yeah i was gonna say it, yeah very quickly became everything to me uh i came straight out of school i remember doing my gcses and i went away uh, that summer on um camps and started in the world of wrestling uh and yeah I don't know how much I can say or not, but um, my experience was I then uh, ended up with somebody that was 
full-time in wrestling and that took me into it. Um, so I was very much in that world and growing up, um, it was my social life too as well. So, um, you know, leaving school, you sort of naturally have that time where you're separated from your school friends and then I would want to be away at the weekends uh, at wrestling shows again just helping out and stuff I wasn't necessarily on them but I was with the person that would be putting the ring up and do it he would be wrestling and stuff so I would be there so the more you uh say you know I'm busy sorry to your your friends at home the less invites you get so then my whole world became in wrestling so yeah it was full on for me um again I loved it though like a lot of those experiences meeting um adults you know because it's very very much a an adult world in the wrestling industry I felt very grown up from a very young age and I probably wasn't and I probably was you know um it might not have been the right fit really looking back on it but I was really glad to be there and the people that I met a lot of them were good good people so you know I think feel like my experiences gave me a lot at an early age that other people didn't get um but yeah it was a hundred percent um my whole life <laughs> i think i think for me it was more of a, a slow kind of burner because i did training every week and then you know we would we would do shows and stuff at the, at the weekends and i think it'd be like maybe once or twice a month if most and sometimes we'd go and put up the ring uh, for the hammerlock shows and we might be in the rumble but again that wasn't you know, like like what Erin had, like, you know, a pretty full-on schedule where you were, like, travelling around the camps and whatever. Um, I, I met some people through training that were a similar age to me, and then I had my, my friends who I knew anyway. Um, and then things would just happen to me that would just take me out of wrestling. So um, I did I did have a time when, when I was doing A-levels, and I, I very nearly got kicked out because I kept going away and doing tours with All-Star, which is probably where I met Erin. Um, so it did over my life to a point because to me I was just kind of like wasn't really that bothered about my education I was just like oh wow you know I cannot go to school and I can go and do a tour for two weeks but I was never really ever seen you know what was past those two weeks if that makes sense because again you're young and you're like Erin says like you go from wrestling on shows maybe with like 50 people and then you go and do an all-star tour and at the time they were a bit like they were big shows and there was you know a couple of thousand people there there were people on the shows that were big stars you know people like Gangrel you know like who you'd watched when you were younger so it was like cool and it was a big deal to like be a part of that um yeah. but then over time like I say um I think just after I'd finished my A-levels I broke my arm wrestling that kind of took me out of it for like seven months um and then I came back and then I would kind of dip my toe in and out and then I think probably around like 2006-2007 I started really wrestling a lot and then I probably had maybe still not as busy as Erin but I was again we were on completely different sides of the fence when it came to independent wrestling I would do you know the all-star tours here and there and I would do an odd you know run of camps but generally I was doing what you would classes that the, the indies even though they're all indies but you know what I mean like the, the cool kind of like independently type stuff I'd be doing more of that which was let was obviously less shows and would, would normally be like a Friday or a Saturday maybe a Sunday um, so I'd be wrestling pretty much every weekend at least once or twice whereas Erin would probably be wrestling 
throughout the whole week um pretty much every day i would i would say most of the time especially during the summer so i still had that that kind of balance i guess because i wasn't resting all the time but again if i if i had the opportunity to to have done that then i probably would have done the same thing because like like aaron said like i loved it and although you look back on it now and you think you know really we were we were kids um you just love everything about it just just like being there watching the other matches like even things like putting the ring up taking the ring down like that stuff was cool so yeah it it, it definitely did take over but it didn't I guess take over as much of my life because um of just the scene that I was on at that time that's great um Claire, I wondered whether you had any uh, any questions about because um, both both of you, Aaron and, and Vicky, worked camps. Uh, Jetta, sorry. Mm. Um, <laughs> I know uh, that that happens frequently on this podcast. I'm afraid, <laughs> so I apologise. I've been called worse. Yeah, because I wonder because I know that, Claire, you have an interest in 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 the wrestling camps and have written about it so I wondered whether you have yeah no I have I have written a bit about the camp stuff because um yeah I just think it's I think it's super fascinating because um like it's quite I, from what from my perspective and this is an out, outside looking in sort of perspective um sort of the camps wrestling feels like quite a different uh genre of wrestling from like the indie stuff that you were talking about Jetta like that yeah. um that like you know the the wrestling at camps I mean, it all seems hard work to me, but it seems exceptionally hard work. And I think there's something interesting about the audience who maybe like, if you go to like an indie show, you know, you, you know what sort of audience you're getting. Whereas at a camp audience, you don't know who, you don't necessarily know what their interest in wrestling is. Like you're kind of, they're kind of just dipping in. So I, I, my, my guess, my guess has always been that you kind of, um, not wrestle differently but you you have like different intentions in the wrestling in the camps than you do in a kind of indie show but I don't know if that's true or not so maybe you could um speak into that a little bit Erin like what is what is kind of working a camp like is it as much hard work as it seems to be from what I've read (laughs) yeah definitely like uh on in the peak of the summer you can be doing three shows a day at different camps so you do uh, like a 12 o'clock show, a three o'clock show, and then like a half seven show or something like that. And they'd be in camps that are quite close together. But like you said, you've got to put the ring up and down, uh, get to the different venues, put it up and down again, and, and also wrestle in between. So on those days, you'd find yourself like as grim as it sounds, but you'd still, you just keep your wrestling gear on and then just wax and close yeah. over the top, get the ring down, get to the next place spray a lot of a lot of spray um and just do it so yeah in that respect you know they are they're full on their hard work um but there's like you said the audience is different so uh an indie show that like uh jetta has been talking about where the fans are your hardcore fans they know the wrestling moves they know uh, they know what they want they know what they're looking for um there's a certain amount of expectation on those but when you go to a, a summer camp show they are more um, for children or families like you said they don't necessarily know wrestling so much so the stories that you put out to them and the um, matches that you can give them are much more storyline based and just feeding them into wrestling little by little if you've never seen wrestling before you know you don't know the difference between uh, seeing somebody come off the top rope doing a moonsault as uh, you know doing a head scissors or something like that so you can give them the same amount of thrill 
but not maybe put your body on the line quite so much. And again, because you're in a, such a full-on schedule and, um, excuse me, <clears throat> you might be doing numerous uh, shows in the week. You have to protect your body and you have to protect the people that you're working with uh, too so that you can keep going for those um, sort of grueling schedules. Um, but I absolutely love the camps. I love the audience of the camps as well. I love that um, element of you don't know who's going to be there. They can be just as much of a, a thrill as well as as working the hall shows because somewhere like Devon Cliffs um, which was one of my absolute favorite places to go and do which is one of the Haven camps if that was raining if you get a rainy day and there's you know they can't go to the beach everybody's on site there's like 3,000 people so suddenly you're in front of 3,000 people on a rainy day in the middle of the summer and you're you know, if you're halfway through, you've got that fitness, like you're on another level with your fitness and you're yeah, wrestling. Your fitness such a yeah. So yeah, I, I love the camps and yes, they're hard. Yes, they're really fun. Um, and it's a hundred percent worth, worth it to any wrestler. I think it's um really beneficial for their experience. If they can get on camps, do it. No matter where you are, yeah. you know, whether, whether you've been on, if you're a really new wrestler or if you're really experienced, like you get such a, have such a good time doing them. But yeah, I recommend them for anyone. Yeah, the, the camps are like the same. Like, I don't know. I don't know if there's still this school of thought now because I think people are more kind of not, not bothered about trying to come across as cool. But for the longest time, like the camps were like really uncool to be on. And like, if you like doing the camps, it was like, well, it's really corny. Like, it's not like proper wrestling. But the camps are brilliant. Like, they are so much fun because those people are just there to be entertained. They might not necessarily be wrestling fans, which is why, in a lot of respects, like, you have to be a bit more creative. You have to think outside the box a little bit. And you can kind of pull on things like, and it's silly things that, I mean, it's only now looking back on it that I think about it. And you, you pull on things that, like, you know, from like, comedy that comedy shows that you've seen certain facial expressions and whatever and you know that that will translate more than maybe a certain hold or a certain move you have to really think on your feet because like Erin says like you've got to get to the camp you've got to put the ring up you've got to get ready most of the time you wrestle two matches on each camp and then you tear the ring down you go to the next camp and if you get stuck in traffic you've got to meet the time that the wrestling is on because it says it on the marquee what time the wrestling starts. And there's been many a time, I'm sure Erin's had it, where you're literally finishing off the ring and people are coming in. So, you you know, it, it, you just, you don't have time to go through and plan. And, and, and even then, even if you did, you're not wrestling. You don't, like Erin says, you don't know who you're wrestling in front of. So a lot of the time you have to do stuff on the fly and you have to kind of listen to the crowd and you have to read the crowd. And I think that is like, that is professional wrestling. Like that is what it is. That is the art of it. Like you're there to entertain the audience that's in front of you and you can plan a match in the back and you can rehearse it until the cows come home. But if you go out of there in front of the crowd and they're sitting on their hands, what you're going to do because you can't just you know if you just sit there and then just go through whatever you else you've planned and they don't care then that's not great you need to be able to adapt you need to have that skill to be like right well they're not feeling this but actually earlier I saw somebody do this roll up or they did a certain strike or they did something towards the crowd but I can do something similar and that's going to pull them in and that's what the camps teach you and also the good thing about the camps is because people are there to have a good time 
you can fail, you can you can do something and it can be shit. And then you always know that you've got the next camp to go to in a couple of hours. So you can get your confidence back up again. And it's it's the reps, it's the reps of just constantly wrestling, wrestling, wrestling. So I think the camps are like where a lot of wrestlers are made really. Um and like Erin says, like I'd recommend it to anybody to go on. When when I initially went away from wrestling and then came back, um one of the things that I made sure that I did was was do a couple of runs on the camps because I knew that that would I'd feel comfortable and I, it would build up my confidence if that if that makes sense. But mm. yeah, they are they are hard, um, but they they're just so worth it. Like I just I love them. I think they're brilliant. Yeah, that's really cool. Like, I've always, I've always just so admired people like wrestlers on those camp tours because, it, you know, it's hard work and they're playing to this crowd that they don't know and it's all, you know, and you, as you say, like it's about entertaining this crowd who have just come in for an afternoon because it's raining and they can't go to the beach and to be able to pull that off as a performer, I think, is like quite incredible. So yeah, uh, yeah, awesome. Um, I just wonder if we could uh, sketch a little bit of a timeline. So you've, you both started around 2002, 2003. How did um, British wrestling develop over that kind of first 10 years of, of the two of you working? And Jetta, when did you, when did you take your break as well? And um, what was that sort of time period? Um, um, what were you doing during that time period? How was the scene sort of developing and changing? I um, misconception when people say that the only thing that was around in the early 2000s was tribute shows because it wasn't um like I say all star were drawing you know a couple of thousand people yeah they were using you know people like gangrel i think jake the snake came over for a while and, and people like that but there was a lot of homegrown wrestlers um and they were drawing crowds now were there shows where you know there were 10 people yeah of course there were but the scene by no means in the early 2000s was completely dead it was just very under the radar and you had to really look for it to find it um you obviously had fwa um which i guess if you if you kind of if you're going to do a comparison like i don't know it's probably an outdated reference so, um but it was it was kind of like at the time you obviously had WWE, you had you had tna um that had kind of just started and then you had ring of honor which was like the cool independent and fwa was like the uk version of, of ring of honor they would bring over people like aj styles or, or you know other other big names um some some kind of like uh, ex ecw guys and they would do like big super shows um i think they they did one in coventry where they had um Kabashi, they had Mick Foley, so they, they brought over big people and they drew really well. Um, but in terms of the actual scene, there wasn't like a whole host of promotions really. And then over time, as as things started to become more popular, the FWA kind of started trailing off a little bit. Um, other promotions would kind of pop up, and then you obviously had the wrestling channel, um, which I, I don't know if you know much about, but a couple of, of companies had um, programs on, on there. So um, mm. for me, anyway, personally, I, I kind of started to break out when I was I was on um, TV shows that were on the wrestling channel. And I think the thing with the wrestling channel is it was very obscure and it was very much like in the middle of nowhere. Um, and I think the wrestling channel, like it what it did help with is if you were on it and you did okay on it, then the people that mainly watched it were people that were on the scene or promoters on the scene. So then from that, you would kind of get bookings because 
at that time, if they wanted a girls match, like they probably didn't really know of any girls, but they'd seen this girl on the wrestling channel. So I'd just get in touch with her, you know, if you know what I mean? Um, it was very much that on most shows, there would potentially be one women's match, but it was kind of, it was kind of treated as if it was a, a spectacle match. Like it wasn't, you know, it was kind of like a, I don't want to say like a sideshow match or a freak show match, but it was kind of like, it wasn't categorized in like, there's a tag match, there's a big man match, there's a women's match. It was like, there's men's wrestling and then, oh look, we've got some girls. Like it was kind of build like that. And a lot of the time you would get a lot of, a lot of shit from the guys where, I don't know if you remember this era where they'd kind of, they'd announce the next, the next match is, is a ladies contest and you'd get a big pop. And a lot of guys would be like, that's, that's the biggest pop you'll get tonight. And so, I can't tell you how many times I heard that comment. But for me, that was a challenge. For me, that was, uh, and I'm going to swear, that was a fuck you. I'm going to get, um, that crowd are going to be louder from start to finish of my match than they are for any of your high spots. And I, that, and that is really where I think I really developed, like being able to listen to a crowd and being able to read and feed off a cow, crowd because I just wanted to, piss them off I wanted, to, I wanted to go backstage and I wanted and there were so many times when promoters would say in front of them god they were really loud during your match they were the loudest they were on the whole show and I'd be like yeah I know like I, I that used to really drive me because it used to piss me off um so yeah it was kind of like you know you'd get four minutes six minutes or whatever um and you were just kind of there because it you know they just wanted to put some girls on the show but then over time, you know, um, things kind of did start to change a little bit, not massively to the point where they are now, um, but there are obviously like some, some all-women's promotions that popped up. Um, and then there's obviously Shimmer in America, um, who, who, I, who I went out for in 2007. And I think from like 2007, and I stopped wrestling like 2009, 2010-ish, for those three years, um, I wrestled a lot, um, and I wrestled kind of all over. I was I was in Germany and France quite a lot, um, all over the UK, and then I would I'd go to America a couple of times a year. Um, but again, I, I would kind of be brought in as like to wrestle the local girl. I'd do a couple of shows, and then I probably wouldn't go back to that promotion for a long time because you were just brought in as as the girl to wrestle the local girl, and then once you'd had that match there was no point in bringing you back if that makes sense so so there was a lot of that at the time um yeah and then and then in 2009 10ish i just i don't know like i just kind of i kind of fell out of love with it in a lot of respects because i felt like i was traveling a lot i was doing a lot of stuff um but it just wasn't it wasn't rewarding because of that pure reason that we were kind of seen as no one really invested in the women nobody really you know a lot of the, the girls that you were wrestling were just you know someone who was a manager or and they weren't really trained properly but again like Aaron said like it's no fault of those 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 girls you know you'd come in and because you'd be a girl they'd throw you in way too early so there was many times that I'd wrestle people and it would be dangerous it would you know I'd end up getting hurt um and it's really like Aaron says like when you when you're doing those types of shows where you're on a loop and you're you're wrestling like every day of the week it's you know you've got to protect your body i actually think that those are harder on your body than than doing what you'd class in air quotes as the cool indies where you take loads of crazy bumps because i, I got hurt doing one of those um like independent indie type shows and i uh, i had a week of bookings with all star and i was like ah oh, 
it's fine. You don't have to do anything. But for me, not doing anything is just taking a few bump and feeds. But they're actually like like really impactful. And and on, on those types of shows in front of those types of crowds, you can't not do a bump and feed. Like whereas on a cool indie show, you can kind of do a bit of chain and a bit of hold stuff and you can you can take a few moves, but you can kind of you can skirt around it. Whereas on a, a family friendly crowd with the A booze, they want to see you bump and feed because it's like slipping on the banana skin, isn't it? So mm. I did that after being hurt and ended up hurting myself even more. And that was where I kind of got to the point where I was like, what am I doing? Like, it's just not worth it. And I just, yeah, just stepped away for quite a while, I think like five or six years. Erin, did you continue wrestling through that period where have you continuous continued to wrestle throughout your whole career until recently or did you take have you taken breaks as well i took one break um i think it was around 2009 ish um and that was uh, i split up with the person in wrestling that i was with after a really long time and um my mental health just went downhill a little bit and i just needed to get away to the point that i was like i need to leave the country so i moved to spain um <laughs> To just do something. I think I was, I don't remember how old I'd have been then, but I was like early 20s or whatever. And I thought like, I just need to get away. So went to Spain for nine months. There was absolutely no wrestling in Spain. Um, I missed it so much. I had a great time. We ran a bar out there. We like built a bar, then ran it. Um, and then I come back nine months later uh, and just felt like ready to get back into wrestling. So I like, I phoned up Brian Dixon um, for All Star and was like, have you got any shows? And got back into it and then, yeah, I didn't stop again. So I've had that one nine-month break and now I'm obviously, I've stopped now because I've got my little girl, but pretty much been wrestling the, the entire time other than that. But saying that, I have always had like other jobs. Like I'm not a full-time wrestler and back in the day, uh, it was quite hard to be a full-time wrestler. Like... It was more um, every weekend you could get shows, but I was like at college and then I had like little jobs that I wouldn't really mind, like a, a bit similar to Vicky where she was saying like, you sort of get into trouble because you'd have too much time off. I would always have jobs that I would be like, oh, I'm off sick and I'd be away wrestling and stuff like that. Like wrestling was the thing that I wanted to do. Um, and then it was only when I was sort of hit about 25-ish, I was like, I should probably think of like, you know, having a, a career job as well as as wrestling because I could see that it wasn't really going in the direction that I originally wanted it to go in. So, um, yeah, um, I can't really remember what the question was before that because <laughs> I think was talking for such a long time with it. But yeah, that's the only breaks that I've had, and mm. yeah, I've been wrestling most of it. I've seen a lot of changes, like, like uh, Vicky said, like you've been in it that long that. Uh, yeah, there's, there is so much change. Like, um, I now don't feel like women's uh, wrestling or women's matches are just there for what Vicky was saying about uh, you'd be booked because you were the girls' match or the women's match and you were, like, a spectacle match. And that's mm. and for a long time, like, I didn't see anything negative in that, really, because that was just the norm. Like, you actually felt yeah. like there was only one match on the show if you were one of the people that got that match you actually felt like oh cool I, they chose me but in reality like uh, there was only one match for 
you know, uh, six or seven matches on a show and there's only ever one match and that would be to break up the men's match and it would be something that was just there because it's different and they didn't really care what you did on the show as long as you were just two women and some of the time it was just the two closest women to that show. Like, they didn't really invest in it. Um, so nowadays I feel like there is so much more investment in um you know the bookings of, of people and why they're booked which is great um so uh, it, i'm interested in if whether the two of you could talk into this a little bit more this um experience of being the only match on on, on a show and what uh the people that are running the show who who for example are the, are the people running running the shows i'm assuming these are male promoters and what was the kind of, uh, I guess, the organisational sort of structures at that time? And um, that, that sort of kind of backstage, you know, what was what was it kind of like, really, I, I guess? I think it kind of depended on the venue you were in and, and who else was on the show with you. I mean, there were many times where, you know, we didn't get our own changing room, which on the one hand I can kind of understand because if you're in a venue where there's you know two small changing rooms and there's two girls and there's you know as as we know on some shows depending on what is booked on the show there can be quite a few guys so I totally understand that it's not maybe necessarily fair to give up one of the rooms to two girls when that means that there's then 20 guys crammed into one room um but it's the respect aspect of it like there are some shows where we'd be in a situation like that and the guys would say what number you want or we you know we're on three or on six or whatever you go in that room and use it for like 20 minutes and then do you mind if we then come in after that and you come out so we would have the room for a bit we'd get ready and then we'd give the room back to them or you'd get the other places where they just treat like shit and they'd you know expect you to be out in the hallway or you know they kind of encourage you to change in the same room which you don't want to do so you'd, you'd go and change in the toilet and then there'd be comments about that um you know that there'd be there'd be some guys that would just you know strip off in front of you and they'd be doing it in a I, I wouldn't say they'd be doing it in a way that's like you know they're trying to scare you or intimidate you or assault you but they're trying to like it's a pissing contest isn't it it's a bit it's a bit of a boys club and they're like oh look at this like let's do this in front of the girls to freak them out like and it's just childish shit but you know when you're in your in your late 20s i guess um mid 20s late 20s you're not not going to say anything are you because you're petrified <laughs> so like first of all like erin said before you so want to be treated like everybody else that you don't want to say something out of line you don't want to piss somebody off you don't want to come across as like if you go and talent on somebody like the promoter that they're being like inappropriate like you don't want to be a little grass like so it can be it could it could be quite toxic and it could be quite intimidating um, but I guess in those situations, like you just kind of have to remove yourself from the situation. And I think as much as like, not this, I guess one of the positive the positives that did come out of it is I think a lot of the girls from that time, we were really bonded because we looked out for each other. Um, and like Erin said, we knew that we'd be maybe the only ones on the show. So we'd huddle together and we'd stick together. Um, and that kind of like, where you've got that on the one hand you've got that competitive nature of like there's only one girls match on the show so they can only pick two girls um you think that that would maybe cause more competition between us but i don't feel like it did i feel like it kind of uh, that situation sort of brought us closer together 
yeah I agree it was definitely like um like Vicky was saying like um the majority of the time like <laughs> you were just um there as sort of extras there was no like accommodating for you as such like it was the norm to go get dressed in the toilets and stuff um but again I feel like because because that was the norm and it was always like that I didn't really see it as a problem and I was happy I was just happy to be there and you do want to be you, you so want to be part of the team and part of the you know the wrestling club that you do you put up with stuff that's probably a bit inappropriate I can't count the amount of uh, you know dropped towels that have accidentally happened in front of me to try and get a reaction and stuff like that um you know just like boys club stuff that depending on the person and depending on who you are you can take things in different ways but um you know I'm I feel like uh some of those things are you know if you're talking about things in a, in a proper work environment they definitely shouldn't have happened but back then it was a different time where it was more um you were either in the club or you weren't so you just you just you know you wanted to be part of the team so you would laugh like things off that actually inside you're like this is a bit in a, inappropriate or you just didn't know how to handle the situation and stuff like that you know what I, mean? and I think that's the difference yeah between what is inappropriate and what is uh, air quotes again just the rib oh just rib just ribbing you just ribbing no it's actually inappropriate. Yeah. yeah but i think at that again like is we're so because at that point we just wanted to be one of the lads like you'd kind of laugh it off or you just wouldn't react whereas i feel like you look back on it now and like i think if i was in that situation now i'd i'd say something but you know yeah, back definitely. then you kind of try and, look and just walk away from the situation and get yourself away from the situation um but yeah like erin said it was that was just the way it was and it was kind of like realize you're in a situation that shouldn't really be happening like you just sort of think well yeah. I you know I need to this is this is how it works this is what the changing rooms are like and I've got to sort of just put up with it or laugh it off or I you know it's me not being normal not thinking this is weird but you know um times are changing and like I think even for people like I don't think a lot of those people nowadays would maybe react the same because people are learning about you know, we are in a different era, aren't we? Um, yeah, think yeah. of like movies that come out like 20 years ago. Um, you know, lots of them have got outdated stuff in and I think, you know, thankfully, a lot of behaviour that was acceptable then um, is not done now because it's known that that is uh, unacceptable behaviour in society. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, you kind of alluded to to the idea that um, some things have changed for the better, um, potentially. When was there a sort of def definable period in which that started to to be noticeable? Or I'm I'm thinking about um, you, you mentioned um, Jetta. You mentioned that a number of uh, all women promotions started. Um, I know that Ease is is a company that the two of you have worked with a lot, especially um, the last last few years. So I wonder when, was there, did you kind of notice that a change was starting to happen or was it a sort of more gradual process? And yeah, maybe you can talk into, into that a little bit. 
I think I think for me it was a change to where what wrestling was like before and then obviously I stepped away from it and then came back to it and there was definitely for me the biggest change was there was there was more women around um you know you would have on some of the mix shows you know you would have you know more than one women's match or you'd have maybe like a, a women's match in an angle quite a lot of companies had uh, their own women's bout there'd be intergender matches um which i did i did actually do at quite quite early in in my wrestling career because at my training school like i say i was very much treated the same as the guys and my, my friend who came train to train with me stopped so it was either i wrestled the guys or i didn't wrestle but because i i always turned up to training and worked hard you know i was just treated the same as everybody else so it wasn't something that was completely alien to me and then i also just think i mean obviously there are people who were around wrestling in the past few years and and that unfortunately will probably still be around wrestling um for well hopefully not but you know it, it's a it's a difficult one i think to nail down um with some people and some people will continue to use people that may have had stories come out about them but um i feel like the newer generation of wrestlers and i don't know how erin feels about this but going through what i went through and again i didn't go through anything horrific but was i spoken to inappropriately was i put into situations that I absolutely shouldn't have been put into but by hook or crook or just by the fact that I had a certain people looking out for me was pulled out of those situations so nothing bad actually happened to me yeah many a time um and I feel like for me the, the newer generation of wrestlers have witnessed a lot of that stuff um they've seen a lot of those things happen um and they don't want to repeat history and also when they when they see certain things you know some of them will call out people and I, I have I have seen that I have seen people be called out on behavior and I have seen people being unbooked for, for certain behavior um so I feel like that's probably a, a big part of it I mean, I'm not saying that you know there isn't a problem and there hasn't been a problem in the last couple of years because there has um but I feel like having more women around um is, is definitely helped yeah, I agree. Um, going back to um, what you said at the start there about like um, there, there wasn't really that many sort of female wrestlers around and um, I noticed it'd probably be the time when Vicky says she left and then come back to wrestling and that was the sort of time where more training schools had opened like suddenly the country was sort of filled with training schools and you'd have a couple of promotions like Vicky said that were investing in like women doing angles or having um, a belt for the women and things like that so suddenly when the training schools come about and there was more women um things started to change a bit you know there was i guess more women to start doing storylines with um and then through there being more women um it was able to get get more serious do you know what i mean like full female shows and you know, they were then um, getting some, like, attention because they'd be, like, sold out. <clears throat> I remember, like, one of the places I really, really wanted to go to that um, Vicky did go to um, and was, like, a regular one was Shimmer. Um, that was massive. That was one of the first female promotions that I found out about. Um, obviously, it was in America, so it was a dream. Um, and back then, like, there was so little uh, 
communication like I think you know we, we don't have emails and, and stuff like that but trying to get like videos or whatever to people to see your work was still quite like a struggle it'd be like your own little camera or whatever that you'd set up at the back of the hall and um, I never actually got to Shimmer but it was um, Shimmer that I wanted to go to then um, Chick Fight started up with uh, that was Dan Reed's first like all girl promotion and then obviously Eve from that so I think just having more females joining the industry gave us a bit more of a a meaning in general you know like people started to take the women more seriously um, especially when the shows were doing well you know these shows were selling out um, how was Shimmer in America Vicky like they were quite good shows weren't they I mean I know they're still going but yeah so they, they, would, they would run the same venue but they would they would always sell out well in advance and they'd do like you know weekenders and, and whatever and they'd be like four shows over a weekend and there'd be people from all over the world there um and they were really popular and they kind of followed a similar model to a lot of for some reason this didn't really catch on in the uk but in america it was it was a great business model so they would they would use a smaller venue with smaller overheads and they would make their money in dvd sales so you know where you'd have people from you know japan australia different parts of america the uk that would never normally be on a show together all of a sudden these you know be independent names like people like Sarah Stock and Sarah Ray and you know people that were in Ring of Honor at the time like Lacey and and, and Daisy Hayes um, they would bring them in and where these people would never normally wrestle because again it was very similar in America where they would have you know there'd be the one girls match in this state but the promoters didn't want to pay to fly some a girl in from out of state to wrestle the girl that lives in that state so in Shimmer you would have these like independent dream matches um so they would do really well in dvd sales and that's what would basically you know keep the company running and that's what paid that's what paid for it basically and yeah it was it was brilliant because you're in an environment where and it's very similar to to what we find in eve now like where you know you'd, you'd wrestle your match you'd ask somebody for advice and or whatever or to watch your match and you come backstage and you've got people like sarah Del Rey watching your match and giving you advice like and it's like with eve you know you'll come backstage and you've got somebody like Kaylee there who who will give you advice and and most of the girls there you know we all kind of and again it kind, it kind of feels like because we all come from that kind of background of like we know what it was like to be the only girls match um I guess especially that that generation of girls we support each other and we help each other and when you come backstage and you say oh what did you think of this this and this and you get feedback from from somebody like Kaylee or or, or Viper somebody like that who they know what they're talking about and you know it, it's all it's all kind of like working towards a common goal of, of making women's wrestling credible, which I think that, 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 that is kind of where we are now. And th those girls are a big, a big part of that, especially when I guess me and you, Erin stepped away from things like, um, so yeah, I, I think that's a big part of it as well. I yeah, wonder in those platforms, platforms. Yeah. I was just going to say having those platforms like Shimmer, Eve, um, they just bring a lot of exposure and bring, like Vicky said, all the girls from around the world together. And that's when you really get, um, you know, better standards of female wrestling for people to see. And then the respect grows. So, you know, we're really thankful that there is promotions out there that have, have done that because it's really brought what we're doing forward and, um, yeah, made it more um, taken more seriously. I wonder if either of you like have ever kind of been interested or perhaps have been over to Japan I'm just thinking about like talking about like women's promotions and stuff like for me like Japan is sort of that that 
the high point, I guess, of women's promotions and, and women's wrestling and all women promotions. Um, I don't know if either of you have been influenced by by that kind of tradition of wrestling or whether you've, um, yeah, if, if you if you kind of into that, whether you watch any of that, whether you, whether you watch any of that kind of early on or, or whatever, when it, when it really was that Japan was the women's wrestling, if you know what I mean. Oh, yeah, definitely for me, because, I mean, I wouldn't say, and again, it's funny because, like, if you see me wrestle and you and you hear who my influences are, you're like, really? <laughs> because I don't do any of that type of stuff. But I think for me, um, especially like training and kind of like, it's funny because you don't realise that sexism is so ingrained in um, Western wrestling until you really step away from it and then step back into it. So like, when you used to watch WWE back in the day, it was just normal. The commentary and stuff was just normal and you didn't really think anything of it. And um, a few years ago, when I, when I originally came back, um, I, I, was, I got the chance to, to, to work with Mickey James, which was really cool. Um, and before I wrestled her, I thought, right, I'll, I kind of know what she does, but I'll just look back on a few of her matches to see like, what type of stuff she does um, and get an idea of it. Because you, you kind of still want to like you want to go to that person and, and know their moveset. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, so I was telling Victoria, And um, it was like a five minute match. And they literally did so much cool shit in that match. And the entire match, all the commentators talk about is their tits, their asses. Yeah. Yeah. They did that, you know, typical kind of like the colour commentator is talking up the heel because the heel kind of like sort of insinuated sexual favors backstage before the match. So he's going to talk her up during the match. And I, I was watching it in the gym. And I remember like stopping like on the, on the cross trainer and just thinking like, how the, how the hell is this like, no, like how the hell is this normal? Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, God, I would have watched this when I was like 15 or 16 or whatever. And I wouldn't have thought anything about that commentary. And that is the one of the biggest problems because that's the that's the wrestling that everybody looks up to, and that is what every, everybody emulates. So when other males come into wrestling and other males start promoting wrestling, they kind of look at that model and they think, well, if WWE treat the women like that, then obviously that's just you know, the way that women are treated in wrestling, and it makes it okay and it makes it acceptable. And it's not until you step away from it and you kind of watch modern wrestling. And then you go back and watch one of those matches and you think, fucking hell, those poor, like, those poor like, women. Because they are absolutely incredible athletes. Mm-hmm. They are amazing wrestlers. And if you, I mean, even Mickey now, like, she's now wrestling with the current crop of girls and she doesn't look out of place at all. She's an inc- like, incredible athlete, as is Victoria. And you just think, like, God, if they hadn't been given the, the platform that girls have been given today back then, what would they have been capable of? the shit that they went through and they still managed to perform at the level that they did. Mm. So for me, back to, back to the original question, yeah, like watching the Japanese women's women's wrestling, although I didn't necessarily emulate the style, it kind of gave me hope that you mm. could be taken seriously somewhere and like look how badass these women are and look at the stories that they're telling and look how invested the crowds are. And it kind of made me think like, if I can be some kind of small part of being able to do that here, like that's what I want to do. I don't want people to, I don't want people to say that was good for a women's match. I just want people to say that was a good match. Yeah. And that was kind of, again, where that whole fuel came from of like, Oh, that's the biggest pop you'll get tonight when they used to announce the ladies match. I used to think, no, I'm going to be actually, I'm going to be more entertaining than you. 
and I'm going to do less to get a bigger pop because I'm going to learn how to work this crowd better than you can. And that, I think, was the big influence for me, really. There's some really fascinating points there. I think especially the one about... um what, what it means to grow up watching the, you know, abundant sexism of WWE and what's that, what implications that's had for the rest of them that's kind of come after it. Um, yeah, I think that's really fascinating. But I want to use also um, what the point that you ended on about um, having a point to prove and um, working the audience, wanting to get the biggest crowd reaction and just use that to start talking a little bit about um, the work of, of both of you as wrestlers. Because you sent us some really... Uh, amazing matches to watch and Claire and I both had a great time watching some of them so I want to start delving into a little bit of your own uh, performance prep with that point Um, I think uh, Jetta if we start with you I I remember work because you worked the first resurgence show I remember one thing you said afterwards was something along the lines of wrestling with your ears open and I wonder if you could talk a little bit about um, what that kind of means and how you how you kind of use that in your, in your wrestling I think it kind of goes back to what we were saying about about the camp the camps you know that's that's kind of where you look you learn that um like I said it's it it's all well and good you can you can plan a match that you think is good um or which is not really great should really be thinking about what you want it should be what the crowd wants um or you can plan a match that you think the crowd's going to like, and then you can go out there and it can be completely different and they're just silent and they're not enjoying it and they just want it to be over. And one of the pieces of advice that I got from um, Robbie Brookside really early on was um, promoters don't watch matches, they listen. So because they're too busy, like they're too busy running around trying to sort shit out, this person's late, this person's car's broke down and they've got five people on it that are in the championship match and they're doing a run-in and blah, 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 blah. And the music man's in the wrong queue and the merch person sold something for the wrong price. And as I'm sure you both know, you're running around like headless chicken when you're running a show. So you're not watching it, but you do listen to it. And if you hear the crowd come up really, really loud at a certain point, then it makes you kind of, well, who's in the ring? Whose match is it? And I always wanted to be that match because I knew that that's what would get me a book, another book in because they don't watch, they listen. And again, back then, a lot of shows weren't necessarily recorded, so they didn't always go back and watch the footage. Um, and also, you know, ultimately, you're there to do a job and your job is to entertain the crowd. So you need to do whatever it is and play the role that you should be playing to entertain the crowd, whether that's as a, as a heel or a face. So... I think it's really important that, first of all, if you're not first match, you should always try and watch the first match because you can see what works and what doesn't work. And if you are the first match, you should at least try and see the crowd as they filter in and have a look at who they are, what type of demographic they are, and then you can kind of suss out um, over time what type of stuff works for that type of crowd and what doesn't. And that's how you should plan your match and cater your match because ultimately... I mean, do we love wrestling? Yeah, absolutely. Do we love doing certain moves more than other moves? Do we like doing certain sequences over other sequences? Yeah, of course, but we're not there to do that. We're there to entertain the crowd. So you should always listen to how they're reacting and depending on how they're reacting, either give them more of that or less of that or switch it up. And I think that that is something that that you learn on the camps um, because you're allowed that time to fail. And I think that's one of the big issues with modern independent wrestling now is 
your first, second, third match, they're all filmed, they're all on YouTube, they're on demand for everybody to see, um, which is really a lot of pressure. Whereas back in mine and Aaron's day, I mean, God, like most of our matches probably weren't even filmed, thank God. So you don't have that pressure because if you if you ruin, if you if you make something look awful or you blow a spot or whatever, it's forgotten and it's on to the next match. Um, so you're allowed that time to kind of work things out and understand what works and what doesn't work. Yeah, I'm interested in this idea of like listening to the crowd because um, one of the matches that, that you sent to us was uh, the match you had with Rhea O'Reilly, and um, there's this like super brilliant moment in this where Rira Rai's like playing awesome and um and the thing that I was listening to all the way through that was like the silence of the crowd because it really I'm a total mark for stuff like this so I was like oh she's definitely injured like she's really injured she's definitely injured and then she turns all around and the kind of the, the the crowd kind of pop for that and I wondered if you could um maybe talk a little bit about that that match and um, anything else and that that was one match one kind of moment that really stood out for me in that match but I'm sure there are others as well it was like it was a really um it was a really kind of special moment of like listening to the crowd like you're talking about like I, I can hear the silence of the crowd and that sounds like a bit of a weird thing to say but like um and then and then the kind of noise after it so uh yeah it was just a really I thought it was played brilliantly by both of you it was awesome yeah I think I think and again it's it's one of those things where it's not like I'd love to sit here and say, yes, it's very thought out and da 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 but really I think it's just sometimes with wrestling, you just have to think outside the box a little bit and not think about the wrestling and not think about the moves because you hear it so many times, the moves don't matter. But they do sometimes depending on what type of match that you're having. But in that match, the whole story was that um, you know, I, I didn't have any points in the she won um, and uh, Rhea's like this big heel. She's had quite a few knee injuries in the past. She's just recently turned heel. Um, I'm, I'm a good guy, but, you know, I can sometimes be like, you know, I'll bend the rules a little bit where, where I want to or where, where I can to kind of get the upper hand. And in that instance, we talked through that before. And it's kind of a fine line because it's a little bit cruel because – there, there are obviously there are injuries that do happen on shows yes. and the crowd whether they're booing you or cheering you then nobody wants anybody to get hurt so we were kind of talking about it before and we were like we need to make it uncomfortable because if it's not uncomfortable it's not believable so we need to try and make it as real as possible now obviously everyone recognizes the ref doing the x so you don't really want to do that because you don't really want to kind of like make that part of a gimmick because then you kind of taken that way forever really and you need that to stay like standalone as that's when the match needs to stop so it's it's kind of how do you make it uncomfortable and the best way of doing that is again it's it's one of those simple rules in wrestling when you think you're going too slow slow down just let the moment happen let it settle and don't really react because if you're thinking about it logically in that moment if it's maybe a little bit meta but in that moment if if somebody's genuinely injured, you're going to come out of character because you're genuinely going to be worried about that person's safety. Because although, you know, everybody wants to suspend their disbelief, everybody knows that people are just playing a part. So if you can kind of try and make it look like you, you're genuinely shocked and you're, you're kind of worried about it. Because in the real life wrestling situation, if wrestling was real, the performer Jetta would attack Rhea's knee straight away because she's injured and try and make a tap. Whereas... Vicky the person and Rhea the person shit Rhea's got knee problems I've just done something to a knee I've gone a bit too far I've got a bit over the top I'm just going to step back and just just have a blank look on my face and then just 
drag the moment out until it kind of becomes a little bit uncomfortable and that's when the crowd starts at first they're like oh it's an angle but then after a couple of seconds they're like oh I don't know it's gone on a bit long they've not said anything they've not done anything no one's moving and then like you say Rhea's just she's whispering to the ref she's not really loudly vocalizing it and then that again it's um I can't remember who said that about promos I think it might have been Shawn Michaels said something about this in promo was it no it's Jake the Snake he talks in a really quiet hushed tone yeah because it makes the crowd go silent because they have to really listen into here and it's just little tiny things like that that if you can think outside the wrestling box and you can think about what works in a film what works in a tv show and then what works in a good promo then you just slot those little things in, into your matches and you can kind of trick people um, and make them second guess what they think the story is, if you know what I mean. So it's it's not really that complicated. It's just kind of like it's thinking outside of the wrestling box and thinking, and we had that conversation before. We were like, what would make me believe as a wrestling fan that you were genuinely injured? And then you just kind of play that out. Yeah, it's really cool. It's really like, it's, it's just really incredible insight because I guess like, I mean, you know, I speak from a theatrical perspective, the same is true in the theatre. If you want an audience to hit, listen to you, you don't shout over them. Like you, you, you bring your voice down. Same in teaching, actually, strangely enough. Um, like you, you <laughs> talk more quietly and the children kind of calm down to listen to you. So um, it's, it's a really interesting um, way of doing things it actually transcends a lot of different forms i guess yeah and i think just just to give ria like proper big credit for this she nailed the most heartbreaking line um because obviously the crowd come to those shows all the time they know the stories of people and she's been taken out of the tournament before with a knee injury and she just really quietly whispered to the referee oh not again i can't go through this again but she didn't say it loud enough that people would think it was a line but she didn't say it quite enough so people couldn't hear it so like that was again her really thinking cleverly which again is a little bit cruel because we did say afterwards like felt a bit cruel but um that was all like really super fascinating and just to stay on on kind of eve and and the matches that we watched erin um a question for you i was wondering when when you got into promotions like eve and suddenly you know it's an all-women's promotion they want to tell stories they're giving you you know, creative matches and spots and things like that. How how important was that experience of working on the camps that you had prior to that? And how, how useful did that become when you were in an environment uh, like Eve where they're challenging you to tell stories and things like that? Um, yeah, I was going to say, I think definitely it helped. Like my style of wrestling is probably still, is quite old school. Um, but at the same time, there's because of being around wrestling or in wrestling for a long time, there's like an expectation that, you know, your stuff's going to be good. And obviously compared to these girls nowadays that are doing, you know, fantastic stuff and training multiple times a week and having like opportunities that we really didn't have. Um, it's a mixture of like, uh, you know, like pressure and like showing what you can do and your the difference in your style. So, I mean, for me... I've um, in the ring I probably come across as you know just as confident as the next wrestler but like as a person I think my confidence as you know could always do with like being maybe a bit better so um, I think 
as much as I love the challenge, I always like second guess what I'm doing or worry that, you know, I'm not doing enough. But I guess I get a lot of um, support again from the girls and from like the promotions and stuff that are like saying they like the difference in my style and they like that. Obviously, every girl's got to be different. So if you've got a full uh, female show, having all the women like wrestle the same way is not going to work. So I guess it's learning like, about your differences and how you make them work for you and you know becoming your your own style and before we had um all female um wrestling shows and stuff there wasn't really that pressure like I said you were just the female so as long as you turned up and you were female that was enough and now suddenly you know you there's a you know there's a different pressure to be different and to be good and uh, have personality behind your um character and not just be a woman <laughs> as such so I mean and I've enjoyed like the evolution of that because you know you do want to grow as a wrestler and another one of those things in wrestling is you never stop learning and you never stop uh, like evolving and I really feel like for me that when the female promotions started happening uh, that's when I found a bit more about like myself and and what character I I wanted to be and stuff like that, which I know that sounds silly because obviously you're a wrestling character when you come in, but I hope I'm making sense that it wasn't such a, a big thing as long as you were, you know, um, like I said, the female in these matches, like that was enough. And now it's not enough. You know, you have to have your differences in these shows to, to make you stand out. I think as, as harsh as it is, you have to have a personality like you're not this faceless yeah. good female bad female because on those shows you were if you were the if you were the baby faced girl you were young bubblegum local girl and if you were the heel you were nasty vindictive bitter vamp like that was like there was only those two types of things and you know even doing a lot of the the, the independent stuff that that I did you still didn't really get chance to do promos or character work and stuff like that. And, and I think in Eve, it's it's been really good because you kind of go with what the crowd, we, we go with, it's kind of similar to the camps. So it's kind of similar to that modeling. Like you kind of, you go with what the crowd are feeling, you listen to them and you kind of build the story around that and you get given the microphone and it is daunting to kind of be told like, just hit these three points and then just go out there. But then like when you go out there and you do that and you can do a promo and it gets over, it's like fucking hell, I can do this. And I think Erin, I'm speaking on your behalf, but again, like we've had this conversation. I think your biggest problem is, is that you don't believe in your own ability, but actually like out of everybody, you've probably wrestled the most. You probably know more than most people have forgotten and when you just let yourself go you like you nail all that stuff as well like you're a lot better than you give yourself credit for and I, I, I was gonna say I'm really sloppy but I oh. wish you could see yourself through the eyes that I see you and oh. other people see you because you are like an amazing performer you really really are um but this is the problem I think again because we don't get given these opportunities a lot and that stuff's obviously changing now um, with with the, you know the the, the all female promotions and then stuff that you guys do as well the stuff that you guys have done with Kanji and and Charlie Evans like 
you're giving them the chance to actually wrestle for 30 minutes and to, to, to build a story and to do promos and to think about well, what would my character do? What would my character say in this situation? And that is like completely alien to what me and everyone were brought in with because it was literally like, right, you are cardboard cut out, good, good, good female wrestler, cardboard cut out, bad female wrestler. And you just, you, the roles were the same. You just happened to be one or the other each day. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that's been a massive confidence builder for, for a lot of us um, because we do have it in us because we, we watch wrestling, we grew up with wrestling. So, but it, yeah, it's just being able to go out there and getting the chance to just do it. Yeah, I, th- I think it's interesting that you talk about, um, you, I think Erin mentioned the similarities between the camps and wrestling at the Resgal and for Eve. And in the, I think the one thing that came across for me, and I'm, I think maybe Claire will be interested in this as well, or maybe share this view, is the Resgal kind of felt a little bit cabaret. Well, I think, you know, the, the Eve shows often do include cabaret performances, don't they? And it had that kind yeah. of um, vibe of, a, you know, this is an, maybe it's a comedy club, maybe it's an ent- did watch around a few matches on the shows that you sent us links to your matches. And I, definitely for me, you know, Aaron's, we watched your match with Chris Wolf and we watched the tag match, uh, Wrestle Friends versus Katie Ray and Viper. Mm-hmm. And I, what struck me about both those matches was just the, that each one of them had a little bit of story. And um, regardless of it being maybe, you know, not the, not the most, um, uh, maybe the match didn't have the most ex- at, at stake in terms of championships. But in all of those matches, the, the two of you as a team were able to throw out a little bit of a spot or a, a line at the start of the match or like the, the hungry hippos and the skipping at the start of the tag match. But just had that something different. And then I looked around the rest of the card and it's, I, I wondered how much of that was a role that you were both deliberately taking on or how much of a role that was given to you by Eve to be the match that had the entertainment value or the comedy spots or stuff like that. And just whether you can talk around some of that. I think we're just allowed to kind of do, we, we kind of know what the end game is. And I guess for the, for the tag match with, with, with Kaylee and Viper was the fact that, you know, they're kind of like the top tier level of the promotion. They're the ones to be if you want, if you want to get anywhere in Eve. Whereas me and Erin are very much the underdogs. Um, so in, in, in a normal competition, there's no way we would ever beat Kaylee or Viper because we just wouldn't like they're on a different level to us so the story is is that you know although we get on with them and we're friends with them you know there's these new tag bouts that are coming in and actually yeah me and Erin can be silly and mess about but we want to win those bouts so we kind of like have that story and we know obviously the end goal of like who's going over and kind of like roughly how we wanted to get it which is why the pins were kind of like a little bit out of nowhere but other than that like we're kind of given free reign to just have fun. And I think that with Eve and the crowd that we have, so there are there are obviously people that go there that are hardcore wrestling fans, but there's a lot of people that are not necessarily wrestling fans, they're just fans fans of Eve. So um, it's, it's good to kind of go out there. And I think a lot of the time, if the audience can see that you're having fun, they're having fun because you're kind of all in on the joke together. Um, and that's a big part, I think, of what we do, because, again, you're wrestling in front of an over 18 crowd. So, you, yeah, you can do the kind of yay boo stuff sometimes. But but generally, like they kind of pick who the goodies and who the baddies are. And you might be following all of the textbook rules of, of what a baddie is, but they just like you for some reason and vice versa for the baby faces. So you just kind of have to go with it. Um, so we kind of do pass stuff by Dan, I guess. Sometimes we say we're going to play games, but we maybe don't 
go into the full detail of how much we're going to do. Um, but yeah, that's that's what's really good about working there because you're kind of giving your time. And even then, sometimes, Erin, I'm, I'm sure, as you know, like we'll get told you've got 10 minutes, but if you go 20 and it's a good 20, then that's fine. And as long as you go backstage after you've gone 20 and it was a good 20, then you're all right. But <laughs> if it's not, then maybe not so much. But yeah, I think we're very much given free reign and that's that's what's so good. You kind of, again, you're given that chance to develop your own character and then it comes across as natural because the actions are your own, the spots are your own and the words are your own. So it comes across as authentic to the audience. Yeah, definitely. Um, and there's yeah. that kind of fun game stuff as well, where like that in that match, like I, I was, I was killing myself laughing because in that match that like you're like playing Twister, and there's like the crowd are like shouting like this is awesome, fight forever and stuff. It's just really, really funny. And um, yeah, like I'm, I'm interested in that sense of like an Eve crowd and what that is, um, because I, I, I guess like this is the case in in a sense with resurgence as well, but maybe in a slightly different way, like the crowd is quite a mixture and it's not maybe like your traditional wrestling wrestling fans if that makes sense like as as people who are into all sorts of different sort of cultures and with different interests and coming just to kind of have a good time and um and 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 it's entertaining them like as you as you say Jenna, like, like you're having fun and everyone else is also having loads of fun and it really comes across in that in those spots i think yeah, I was going to say, um, from my point of view, like Eve does give us like loads of creativity and, um, you know, you, you can have a bit of fun with it. We know the Eve audience are always like, they're really good. They're always like, uh, like you said, there's a mixture of people that really know their wrestling and they uh, come every month and there's people that turn up uh, fresh face. They've never seen wrestling before and they just want to be entertained. And I think something that me and Vicky have probably got as a like a massive advantage from doing stuff like camps and stuff like that is um especially on those sorts of shows you can bring comedy to the matches so we've both got like a really strong background of knowing loads of like it's like a lost art of like comedy wrestling and I think we both love being able to bring that into the matches and like I was saying before you need to make things a bit different like you can't have sort of six matches all being the same sort of content so to make ourselves different and to stand out like we both love to bring a bit of comedy in um i loved working with chris wolf um and we've done like some just some really random fun stuff i think i just told you about the um like um chris wolf's retirement show and i was doing like a sperm and egg match and things and like, i love like just it's so different and brings a different cre creativity that you know years ago you never got a chance to do things like that so I really enjoy that side of being creative and having fun with it and you know like just being allowed the, the free reign of what should what should we do for the eve crowd this month is is so fun because they're such a great crowd do you feel the same Vicky like you yeah definitely like like you say Erin there's a lot of like old kind of like British spots that you do on the camps like every week and you can yeah. slot them in a show like that and everyone thinks it's the most hilarious thing they've ever seen and that you're a genius but <laughs> 10 years ago you did it every weekend but because yeah. it's like it's it's fresh to them um and again you can kind of put a bit of a modern twist on it so you'll do like a certain old school spot and you'll just tweak it a little bit with something a little bit modern um and again it just kind of becomes something that people haven't seen and i think that's the big thing with it like you again you kind of want to look at 
like Erin says, like who's on the card, what type of matches are on there, actually how do you slot in in that, in that and how can you make what you're going to do stand out and different and not burn the crowd out with the same, the same stuff over and over? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's all, all really interesting stuff. I'm a little bit wary of time um, and I want to get to a little bit of um, stuff to look at for the, for the current state of British wrestling in the future to end on. I just wondered, last bit on sort of performance was, um, uh, maybe we won't delve into it too much, but I, I think both your entrance musics are really interesting. Um, and yeah, so there was that. But then also, like, um, how did it feel to obviously win the tag titles at Wrestle Queendom? And just a little bit, maybe if both of you could just give your thoughts on Wrestle Queendom in, between, in particular and how kind of important that is as obviously the biggest women's show in, I think, Europe at, at the time. Um, so yeah, there's a little bit about that and we'll move on. I think on, on Queendom, it's just like, like we were saying before, you know, you go from being the only ma girls match to all of a sudden there's, you know, shows every, uh, you do shows every month and then they have the big Queendom shows. Never in, in our wildest dreams did we ever think that there'd be women's tag bouts anywhere. Um, so for me to, to win, to, to be the first ever Eve tag team champions with Erin is just like, oh, it's just amazing because we obviously started at the same time. We've both been through a lot in wrestling um, and it was just great to have that moment with Erin. Um, yeah, I wouldn't want to do it with anybody else. Thanks, mate. I feel exactly the same. Like, it was, it was such a big deal, genuinely. Um, I think because, like you said, when we very first started, it was all like, you know, you're just a match and things like that. So to see like everything evolve and to still be part of it. And then Queendom is like the pinnacle of Eve, like, um, and to win the belts at Queendom was, yeah, I think that's the biggest sort of moment that I've had. Like it was our reaction when we won the belts um, was real, like that. I genuinely just burst into tears and it was, I think it was like emotion of all the years put together, all like your hard work, all trying to get, you know, um, get somewhere in the business. That really just felt like this was a big thing. York Hall, Wrestle Queendom, and yeah, we're to do it with um, uh, Jessa there, like as tag partners was just, it was something really, really special. Like this, like, the top thing that I've done so yeah it was amazing and I think it helped as well like we'd had like a really good match I really enjoyed the match the other people in the match were amazing as well and just to have that like uh moment don't you feel like that was just yeah the, the yeah crowd were amazing. they were so they, yeah. the crowd were generally so happy for us and I think that put it all together as well no, yeah. yeah and when we started doing the storyline with me and Erin we didn't really know where it was going to go and it was kind of like Erin's going to turn on me and become a heel or naturally we'll just split up but the, I think the crowd just really liked us together so which was great for us because we well I'm speaking on your behalf Erin but I really enjoyed working with you it was a lot of fun because I think again like we said we've been through some similar stuff and we kind of come from a similar sort of wrestling background in terms of like the stuff that we've learned and things. So we could slot that in together and it just worked. It just clicked. And Oh yeah, it, it was, it was an amazing moment. 
yeah when we first started like t uh, tagging together or having this like whole storyline and and stuff I don't know quite where Dan wanted it to go or where we were gonna go with it and I'm not sure that you know we worked with the crowd reaction and I think maybe I was supposed to be going darker as in like I was supposed to be going more villainry actually everybody started to love Vicky's character even more and more and like she's such a she's a she's a heel that you love to hate anyway but I then think having us become this sort of funny tag team type thing um it actually made everybody just really get behind us which I'm not sure either of us were knowing how much they that was going to happen um but yeah genuinely i'm so happy that that it did because it worked out really well when we've had such a good journey with it and um and loads of fun along the way so yeah yeah definitely i think that i mean that from just from watching the match without coming to it afresh that that story just really came kind of came through in the match and i thought the actual um the way the match was put together and the um and the finish and then the crowd reaction it was easy even as an outsider to to kind of get the story and, and feel invested in the story, even just awesome. watching it for that 20 minute. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, and that's a bit a big part as well, like Aaron said, of all, all the other girls that are in the match, like making sure that, you know, they, they again, again, it's that working as a team, everyone worked towards the, the common goal of what the story was. Um, and you can't do that without everybody else. So. Mm. Okay, I'm just a little bit wary on time because um, Claire and I every episode say that oh no this this one won't be as long as the last one and now we're pushing <laughs> pushing into that time. Um, so the, the judgment we make is like how long Mike Bird spoke for, and I feel like um, and that was like a really it was a super brilliantly long episode, and I, I'm wondering if we get we get to meet beat the Mike Bird record today. Which would be <laughs> I can talk. <laughs> so I want to uh, I just want to finish by and. I don't want to bring it back into negatives too much because we've we've just been discussing something which feels really positive, and and we've sort of spoken around this a little bit um, earlier on in the discussion, um, but obviously this summer British wrestling's had a real significant um, period of um, upheaval in, in in many ways in a good way. A lot of quite you know quite disturbing stuff has come out, but it has come out and there's been a reaction to it, and hopefully we're going to start seeing changes. Um, as a result of that, particularly in, in the case of kind of the toxic masculinity and some of the just really, you know, to, to a point, um, literally criminal behavior in some cases and things like that. I just wondered if you could talk about what you think needs to happen and how, how you see British wrestling kind of moving forward and what your sort of hopes are for the future in light of speaking out and, and things like that. I think a lot of the stuff that's come out has kind of been stuff that's been bubbling along in the background and you know rumors of this person's this and this person's that um but you know yeah nobody really spoke out um and i know for me personally i mean like i said before i'm lucky i've never had anything awful happen to me but i've been in some questionable circumstances that um, i've managed to get out of um uh, and it's it's been a real for, for me personally it's been really good for all of this stuff to come out and, and and i think feel like again it's brought a lot of us closer together um we've all had conversations with each other and you know talks about things and it's it's brought a lot of things to light that, that are painful and 
things that you kind of look back on in situations that you're involved in and you kind of think like god like that was awful but again like we were saying before a lot of the stuff was kind of normalized so you kind of either forget forget about it or you kind of just like push it out of your minds and just try and remember the good things so I think it's been it's been difficult but it's been needed and I hope that going forward people won't be scared to talk about experiences and to to speak out against people and to actually say no that's not okay that behavior is not okay and I know I know from me personally I feel like I'm at I'm at the point now where if I see something that I think is inappropriate or I think somebody's being inappropriate, um, I'll be a lot more vocal about it than, than what I would have been previously because I think sometimes the issue is is that you hear about things secondhand from another person. You don't really want to pry. You don't really want to say anything because it's, it's not your business and that person hasn't come to you directly to say anything. Whereas I feel like now I might be more likely to kind of cross that bridge and go and speak to that person even though that person hasn't directly come to me even if that then comes across as me being nosy or you know trying to cause trouble I know that that's me trying to come from a good place and helping people out and and also those people that have hidden the shadows for so long because they have this invisible pull and a lot of these people they don't have any pull and they don't have any sway um that's been exposed and those people you know some of those people have been completely taken out of the industry which is great. My only worry is is that they move into another industry and do something similar because some of them just have those patterns of abuse. But um, with things on the internet and and, and Twitter and and whatnot, I kind of feel like a lot of that won't go unnoticed. So I guess going forward, I think that everybody's kind of closer together. The the good people um, are closer together. Um, The good people now things don't necessarily go unsaid and I feel like more of us will feel like we can speak to people and people that have had experiences will feel like they can speak to people I know I've had people approach me about stories or that that I've never even met or never even spoken to um I think sometimes wrestling has this kind of this this kind of like backstabbing you know be careful who you tell this to Um, and that has kind of bred this sort of behavior for a long time and I think this whole speaking out has made a lot of people realise that actually saying don't say anything to anybody because it will, you know, cause an issue or that person won't help you or, you know, that person will just bitch about you behind their back. But people have used things like that to kind of get away with stuff for so many years. And actually now people are talking about things. They're like, wow, I've gone through the same thing as you or, you know, and I, I was I didn't want to say anything to you. Um, so I, I hope that it will bring around big change when it comes to a governing body and things like that I think you know that is a long way off that is years off because that's just not that's just not the way things work unfortunately and you look at the whole the whole uh, issue that's happening in gymnastics um, and that has a proper governing body and, and look at the issues that they're having so although I do think that that's what we should be working towards I think that it's a long way off and, and within that time frame while we're waiting for that to be in place um people need to continue doing what they're doing now which is which is speak out about things if they think that something's inappropriate they need to say a lot of companies now have have um people in place that that you can go to and you can essentially whistleblow to which is which is good um but i think just 
just getting everything out in the open will, will be a massive help because people will start to realize like that behavior is a pattern um so yeah it's but it as with a lot of things i think it's it's so complicated um and, it, and it's difficult and it's and it's hard and it's emotional and it's painful um but all of the people that have spoken out and that, that have, have named people or gone to the police or whatever like it's just so incredibly brave um and i, I commend every single person that, that has done that um and i don't think that that will that will go unwarranted um Erin, I wonder if you um, have any advice for if, for anyone wanting to get in, get into wrestling, uh, maybe someone who's at the start of their career, you know, based on your your um, wealth of experience in wrestling. And what would your kind of advice be to someone who's maybe thinking about getting into wrestling, but has maybe been put off by some of the stuff that's come out over the summer? Well, I think as much as uh, all the stuff that's come out over the summer is probably, uh, you know, horrific to read and to see, especially for people that had no idea, like fans and, um, you know, sort of innocence and, and people that are coming into the industry now. Like, the whole point of the, the people that spoke out wasn't to turn people away from our industry. It was, it was to clean up the industry and to, to, to finally, hopefully, um, make changes you know changes that are gonna be for the benefit of these people that come in and the fans like um i've you know I, i'm really sad when i read tweets of fans that say they're not sure they can back wrestling anymore and again the whole point of the the people that spoke out was not because we want people to turn their back on wrestling because there's so many good people in wrestling we just need the help of the the good people and the good fans, you know, to get rid of those bad people and to to get out of this industry. There is, like Jeff has said, um, you know, uh, a chance that they're going to put themselves into another industry and, you know, hopefully in the long term with the gymnastics um, being outed and wrestling and other industries, you know, like um, the Me Too with the acting industry, I'm hoping that all of these things together will you know, eventually they'll bring in new laws where um, so people that are trainers and people that are instructors in any industry can't sort of date their students and things like that. You know, we need changes that are going to be uh, for the long term and in, you know, like actual things in law. But I think, you know, the more people that speak out, the more change that will happen. So I don't want the people that have read these stories to be put off wrestling. I want them to see this as you know, we've, we've been brave so that we can make the industry better. So please back it and please back us now. And, you know, um, just look out for the good training schools, look for reviews, look for um, what certain, you know, the wrestlers that are at the training schools, what are their credentials? You know, now we've got the internet and all those sorts of things, like just make sure these new people are doing their research so that they're really comfortable and safe with the training school that they end up going to. I think that's probably the, the advice I'd give anyone. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the thing as well. The more people that have spoken out, the more that that type of behaviour isn't normalised. So people can identify the warning signs. Um, and like Erin says, you know, there's plenty of other places that you can go and train and move away from those places. Mm hmm. 
So, yeah, it's brilliant. Um, okay. Um, I want to, yeah, bring this to a close because we're, we're just about to hit the two hour mark, um, which seems to be the grappling arts uh, allotted time. <laughs> um, I want to just uh, end by saying, yeah, like ho hopefully, obviously, Resurgence will be back at some point in the future and um, hopefully Jetta and Erin Angel will be in Resurgence at some point yeah. because it'd be really cool to to meet, well, Erin to meet you in person and have you on a show and, and Jetta to return to Resurgence as well. Um, yeah, that's that great. could happen in the future. I, I definitely think the Erin, um, your S Club 7 uh, entrance music will come go down a tree in Resurgence. <laughs> yeah, it goes down a tree everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, that would be amazing. I'd love to work with you guys. And um, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to interview us and you know, uh, really letting us sort of say our say our pieces, especially with uh, regards to all the changes that have been happening recently. So it's much appreciated. It was a really, really fascinating conversation um, and I look forward to listening back to it. And just, just end by, um, if you could tell people where to find you if, you, if you want to be found on Twitter and all that sort of stuff. If you don't know them off the top of your head, I can add them at the end. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's probably Jack Russell or something. It'll be Jet, it'll probably be Jetta Russell. It's that, yeah, it is Jetta underscore Russell at Twitter. I don't know. I'm, 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 as you can tell, I'm not very tech savvy. <laughs> I think mine's, uh, my Twitter is uh, X, Erin Angel X, and my Instagram is one Erin Angel. So if anyone wants to follow those, that'd be great. <laughs> Awesome. I'll put some uh, links to, to matches and stuff. And I think you can get a seven day free trial for Pro Wrestling Eve. So you can go watch some of the matches that we talked about. Awesome. Yeah, there's some really great matches on there as well from, from uh, some amazing athletes. Okay, Claire, any, any closing thoughts? No, just that it's been like super fascinating to hear from you both. I think getting the insight of like to uh two wrestlers have been in the industry for that period of time but like the two different um journeys that you were that you went on um has just been like just just really great to to hear more about that so yeah thanks so much for kind of sharing your story we can't wait to hopefully get you guys in a wrestling resurgence ring at some point i think it would be um yeah it'd be, it'd be great to see you guys there into the grappling arts if you enjoyed the episode please leave us a review or rating on Spotify and iTunes. Um, please share it and tell people about the podcast because it really helps get us uh, higher ratings on the um, on those various channels. And um, for wrestling resurgence news, tickets, free matches, video on demand, all of that good stuff, we are wrestling resurgence w underscore resurgence on Twitter and on Instagram, and you can search wrestling resurgence on Facebook and YouTube. I've been your host Sam West. Until next time.